Hello, welcome to Why Did Peter Sink? This is an episode called Falling Away and the Slow Burning Recovery Process. So I was in a state known as Fallen Away for about 15 years because I had never experienced what was known as interior conversion. I was going through the motions, and so the purpose of religion and church felt like fishing with no hook and no bait. I wasn't catching anything, and I wasn't learning how or why, and I didn't know how it was even supposed to work. So I stopped fishing and just moved on, which I've come to realize was the best and worst thing that ever happened to me. I fell away for similar reasons to most people, and I've gone on at length in some other episodes about those. I felt it was a lot of rules. I saw bad representatives around me with a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do attitude. Um, I was getting a lot of uh, mixed messages from media, flat-out false ones from school, um, very many, many half-truths about history in particular. Um, well, just Galileo, for one, that entire affair has been completely... Uh, botched by historians, or at least internet historians. With that, um, it became easier to deny the idea of sin, uh, which I precise, which is precisely how I came to reject God. And that's where I stayed for a long time, because once, once you turn away, it takes a, quote, compelling event to be reawakened to turn back. In our, um, in sales at, at work, um, I'm not in sales, but I've worked with a lot of salespeople over the years. We would often say, we need a compelling event for this customer to buy our product. And usually a compelling event was something bad that meant they needed our product. And it's kind of similar in our lives where we need a compelling event, or they would call these things like limit experiences um, in other little segments of the world, or hitting bottom, something like that, to be reawakened to turn back. And from my experience, um, you can't get to the resurrection unless you get to belief in God first. So you have to start with just being willing to talk to God. And that has to be restored before you start asking for God's help. Or maybe you need help, and then you start asking God. In any case, starting the discussion is what he's waiting for, what God is waiting for. To me, the proofs for God must be shown or come to a person that has turned away before you can dive into the mysteries like such things as the incarnation or the resurrection or the ascension or even the concept of the trinity which is a great thing to contemplate because you'll never quite figure it out uh, fortunately an addiction for me provided the compelling event for me where i as i told in the very first episode of this entire podcast i woke up in jail and then did some rehab and turned back to god and found that that was the only way that I could um, deal with that problem, that difficulty. And now I see it as the great gift. I'm grateful for that because not everyone is as lucky as me where it's an obvious problem. Some people have greed where it's just light enough to where they can't quite see it. And of course, I also have greed. I'm dealing with that. But when you have, say, a drinking problem or if you're a if you're addicted to porn or if you're um, addicted to gambling, those things are almost blessings if they wake you up so that you turn back to God. But a lot of times it requires you to fall on your face very publicly, unfortunately. Um, but we all have some weakness. Even St. Paul would talk about the thorn in his side. 
Um, he never said what it was, but there was some thorn and he asked God to take it away. And God said, no, it's for you to remember your humility. And that is what these things are. Um, your crosses that you bear can become gifts if you understand that everyone, every single person has a cross to bear. Um, so in our culture today, the gaze, our culture is gazing toward earth, not heaven. There's an ambivalence and uncertainty about whether we have souls at all. Um, we're conditioned that way. We're really programmed that way from childhood. And there's a lack of depth in religious education and exposure for young people, um, at least where I grew up, and that didn't help. Uh, public schools seem to make an effort to steer around any idea of a spiritual life. Uh, it's really strange how much they go around out of the way to not talk about God and then talk about other things like um, other religions, uh, anything but Christianity, whether it's um, Islam or uh, native religions, but anything but Christianity, which is really strange. Um, we're, we're so soaked in, the, in the, this world, this, the world that Christianity built, and we pretend it's not there. Um, I, re I recall campaigns in school to build up our dignity and self-worth, but it was all body and mind, but certainly not soul oriented. That word just doesn't exist in schools. Uh, my idea around the soul was dead on arrival really in high school and college um, being, you know, indoctrinated to the public school's dance around spiritual things. Um, all things were taught as materialism. And I don't know if I've mentioned this story before, but I remember in a chemistry class in high school where the chemistry teacher told us and had a video that Jesus's turning water into wine was done with a chemistry magic trick. And, and I was just baffled. Um, <laughs> it was quite the experience. Anyway, um, worse, I felt that I couldn't ask questions about faith as a child. So I was kind of getting steered um, towards science. And then science was telling me, you know, things like the water into wine was a magic trick, which... Um, you know, but I could ask questions in science. That was the thing. And that's what drew drew us to it, drew me to it. Um, religious teachers from middle school through college, um, what they should know is that students really want depth in that. And they, the intellectual depth of Catholicism is enormous. We don't want coloring books. We want depth. So St. Augustine, St. John Damascene, St. Thomas Aquinas, those things, uh, there's so many things that could be ta taught and we pretend kids can't understand it, yet they can remember every Pokemon character or um, they can understand all kinds of scientific things, but we just completely shut them out of, say, St. Thomas Aquinas's five ways to prove God's, um, that God exists logically, you know, those kind of things. We don't read St. Augustine's Confessions, uh, Confessions, and that that was a book that blasted away at my false assumptions and really deprogrammed me from thinking as the world did. There was also lots of things from Word on Fire. Um, There's podcasts and books. There was, um, there was so many things that had to be unwound um, in order for me to start seeing really the truth um, that Christianity is completely different from any other religion, um, that there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it all. And anyone who says it's the same as any other religion is um, doesn't understand it. Um, I think I've mentioned this before, but Tom Holland's book, Dominion, 
is a great book for, I think really it should be read widely today um, to understand how the, how the world is the way it is. Um, but anyway, we, we are in a, behind a lot of walls. We have a lot of walls. Um, and I, you can think of Plato's cave, the allegory of the cave. We have a lot of explanations, the shadows on the wall, while the real story or the other half of the story is really in the spiritual life. So, but someone who is turned away from God, they will have that wall up plus other walls. They'll have multiple walls uh, where they will not accept a spiritual presence. Um, God is, is something that's been turned off, but really it's actually very easy to turn back. He's always there waiting for us. So if God is sending messages, you may not be receiving them because you're behind a wall. They are being transmitted always because God gives all of us sufficient grace to come to know him, but it has to require our own will to turn and talk to him, a choice. You know, you have to turn off the scrambler that's garbling every message that hints at God. Um, that is why you have to get to reasons to believe in God first and understand that he created the world out of nothing. He is the first cause. He is the unmoved mover, the prime mover. Um, there is a design for this universe and for your own life. Um, so another wall would be misunderstanding how to read the Bible. That's an enormous blocker. And I don't think the Catholic way to read the Bible is very well known, but it's actually very satisfying, especially when you grew up somewhere between the fundamentalist literal reading that seems very ludicrous and the purely scientific skeptical reading that seems just as ludicrous on the other side of where there's everything is pure materialism. So um, how to read the Bible. I have a link at the bottom of this from the Word on Fire Bible was really eye opening. Um, as I would, I just lumped Catholics with fundamentalist readings of how, how it was read. That's how noisy through my life, the fundamentalist speakers had been about how to read the Bible. You know, the earth is 6,000 years old and there's nothing, you can't read it allegorically. Um, it, it ruined it. It ruined it, especially because I was uh, an English, uh, someone who really loved books. I have an English degree. I under, I like doing close readings and all that. But I hated reading Genesis when I was in um, just a scientism type of mindset or a literalism mindset like the fundamentalists. So um, I could only read it like Carl Sagan on one hand or like Ken Ham um, on the other hand. And that doesn't work for me. That It doesn't make sense to me to have it be so limited. Um, you can't read scripture like a science book because it's not a science book. It's about the soul. It's not about cells or atoms. Um, moreover, you can't go deep in science classes and then come back and try to read it like a fundamentalist. So if you've had a lot of science training um, in geology or archaeology or anything, um, and you come back and you have to, somebody shoehorns you into a corner and says, you have to admit the world is 6,000 years old, good luck. Um, and then you find out, oh, no, there's other ways. Um, there's old earth uh, readings of it versus young earth creation. And there's, um, theistic evolution. Um, you know, so it's, and it's the, the church allows those interpretations. And I think that's a great asset of the church. I like that the church moves slowly. Um, and even, you know, 
going back to the idea of Galileo, there was the church was moving slowly with Galileo because Galileo's calculations were wrong. Um, he his circular orbits were actually not provable. So there's a whole bunch of things if you, if you really spend time on these things, you can come to appreciate that the church moves slowly for a reason. Um, but you know, if you're coming in with the propaganda that um, everything in the Bible is um, is scientifically wrong, then you've already um, missed, you, I guess no one goes to read Charles Dickens looking for, um, you know, geology uh, advice. Um, that's what they end up kind of doing when they go to the Bible. That doesn't make any sense. And, you know, you're reading a different book for a different reason. Um, and so likewise, uh, the same thing I would say, uh, you can't tell someone who took literature classes that there is no figurative or symbolic elements in the Bible because, you know, we know how to read. Um, a lot of us, I think we're actually worse readers today than we were 40, 50, or certainly 100 years ago. Um, the classical education of the past, I think, gave much deeper um, comprehension levels and the ability to see more than the way we read today with our media and just Twitter and, and all of these things that are very bite-sized. Um, but you have to realize that reading the bible um it, it's it's deep it's not the child's bible like that you read when you were seven with the cardboard pages there's there's so many layers to it um the reason it's a masterpiece and why it's so um powerful is that it keeps it has staying power for well four thousand years um you know it's it's the story of abraham is around from 1800 bc and we're at 2023 uh, you know something has a power different than, say, the Greek epics where you only read the Iliad because you have to, um, or you, or no one reads like Herodotus or Hesiod. Like those are rarely read. They're not. They're still great books, but it's not like Genesis where you can read that and get into an argument with someone because you 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 understand there's something about it. Um, it's also much deeper than say. Aesop's fables, um, which I love. I absolutely love Aesop's fables. Um, and I can say, I can, my, one of my favorites is the ant and the grasshopper. And I could say, well, that's just about insects. Um, but it's not about insects. It's about humans. It's, it, there's allegory in that story. All of Aesop's fables are some kind of allegory. We know there's allegory. So we know there's interpretation needed. So we can't read it literally or scientifically but we can read it literally and scientifically, but we need to use our whole mind to read it. There's more than just those two things. And any one dimensional reading of the Bible will fail, but you can read it in each dimension, each aspect, and then see how they relate. One thing I think is how we specialize everything out. So it's like we're looking at a diamond, but we're focusing on one little aspect, one little edge to this many, many, many sided thing. And so someone will read the Bible and say, well, Jesus was just a Stoic. And the next person will say, no, he was a member of the Essenes. And the next one will say, no, he was, he was a liar. And the next one says, no, he never existed. And the next one will say, you know, he existed, but Nazareth never existed, and so on. So you, you can see this, this attack, on, on, especially on Jesus, because he is all things to all people. And we, we laser point something at him and say, this is it. And then he's, he's so far beyond what we can try to capture that all of those single pointed, um, uh, these, these 
uh, like the way you come at it, it falls apart because he's he's more than that. There's a wholeness to Jesus because Jesus is God. It's just like trying to understand the Trinity. Um, Jesus is, of course, the second person of the Trinity, and we can't even understand that. <laughs> so, and the Bible is that way too. It's not like other books. So um, people will hem and haw about Hamlet, and and they go on and on and on arguing over Hamlet. But we argue far more about, um, like, say, the Pentateuch and the books of Moses and and then the Gospels. Or, or if you just take revelation of how many ways people interpret that alone, and that one, of course, is set up for that kind of interpretation. But so most interesting to me now is that I've realized that you can do a very deep dive on science and you can also read the Bible like Catholics do. You get to have faith and reason. So you can learn about evolution until you're blue in the face or you're 90 years old and still find that Genesis makes complete sense. Uh, that's what I think is actually one of the greatest things is that um, I don't find evolution at all to ruin my faith in, in any way, in any sense whatsoever. And I used to let that happen. And now I realize, no, it doesn't matter. Um, we are still completely different from the animals. Something else happened. We are a rational animal, but something is different and the fall makes complete sense. So in fact, I think the deeper you go on science, the more that Genesis and the Gospels make sense. But I'm biased now to that view because I've found faith again. So once you start looking for the historical, allegorical, moral, and religious truth of what the Bible teaches and how it relates to Jesus in the end, um, that's a game changer. But again, you have to want to believe in God first. And if you approach the Bible as fiction from the start, you will read it as fiction. So if you start with doubt, you will be scoffing by the third day of creation creation, and wonder how God said, let there be light before he created the sun. Um, that's one of my favorite points where um, I scoffed. How can there be light if there's no sun? Sun's on the fourth day. But I didn't understand that the let there be light was the was faith or the idea to create or the power of God to make something out of nothing. It's like a blank canvas and then he starts creating. It's the artistry, the authorship of God. Um, and once you allow that light in, however, you can read the Bible and not get stalled on difficult passages. Um, it's also, I always like to point out that the six days of creation are the three, our first three are building the structure and the second three days are filling that structure with things. So um, it's always worth pointing that out, I think, because people get caught up on that fourth day. How can the sun be there? Uh, anyway, like I said, it's not a geology book or, a, um, or an astronomy book. But um, anyway, the catechism is another one. The, the catechism of the Catholic Church teaches that Genesis uses figurative language in places. And I came to realize that how Catholics read the Bible is very deep and not shallow. So eventually you get to the point where you can read Genesis literally, figuratively, allegorically, morally, and how it relates to Jesus and the end of time. And even historically, you can read it. And heck, even scientifically, and it still works, as long as you realize you're not reading a molecular biology book. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. If you just think it's some old myth, you aren't reading it deeply enough. You aren't having an encounter with God. So De Verbum, which was one of the documents, the Word of God uh, from Vatican II, talked about 
um, that we need to realize that when we are reading the Bible, we are having an encounter with God. So if you go into it with that mindset instead of I'm a skeptic or I'm a fundamentalist, um, you'll have a much better experience and you can keep all of your education and life will be much better for you. Uh, one thing that helped me to return is the example of faithful Christians I know as well, whether that was Catholic or Protestant. Um, I saw their lives, lived in devotion, and that probably did more for me than anything. Um, it made me want to have what they have, because when you turn away, um, when I turned away, I lived in a restlessness, seeking, searching. Um, and the experience is required for some of us like me to realize that our hearts really are restless until they rest in thee, in God. Um, but when we are looking earthbound, when we're staring at the ground instead of the heavens, uh, we think Gaia uh, has the answers instead of God. And um, that's the idea of Mother Earth. Um, but somehow the flip has to happen to turn your head upward. Um, refusing, refusing to pray or ask for help is a rejection of God. Uh, but like the Bible says, we are stiff-necked. Um, which I learned was an idiom about oxen that would not turn when they were poked by a farmer. The thing is, we have to want to turn in the end. Um, and the thing is, the funny thing is, you will want to turn once you start trying and once you start feeling the connection to God, and it takes prayer. So we have to want to receive God's grace. It's just there. It's it's like a gift. It's like a giant watermelon sitting there waiting for you to just take a bite. <laughs> He's giving it to us at all times. Um, desiring God is where the flip happens. But like St. Paul and St. Augustine, it's often not a voluntary thing. It's a gift, sometimes um, kind of shoved in your face like St. Paul or for St. Augustine, an irresistible change that took him 15 years like me for paul it happened all at once for augustine it was a slow burning eight season hbo adult series you know uh, either way the result was the same because they ended up on fire for god and they were never the same again they were not the same person and nor have i been so what you can do for someone who has fallen away um, you can call them send a text be a friend listen and you don't have to tell them about god you just be their friend. Uh, that's really what people want. They don't want to feel used or uh, proselytized. They just, you need relationships both with God and with people. And they, and if they're not a person of faith, that's fine. Um, but you have to keep your faith and keep building, building it up. Um, I think those actions alone can be the compelling event because Seeing someone pass through life with faith is a powerful argument, even without words. This, some of the most powerful witnesses I've seen in, about, of faith that drew me to it were people that never said a word to me. I just saw them going to church all the time, doing the right thing, believing uh, just, just the humility and gentleness of their lives. So it wasn't someone doing what I'm doing, writing here or talking about it. It was people just um, living faithfully and not even having anything. Some having no money, no job, but still believing, you know. Um, and, you know, for me, praying the rosary always helps. Um, you can pray a, uh, I was saying, a 54-day rosary novena. That will never hurt anyone. Um, it's actually a good idea to do. It just takes a while. But once you get into the swing of praying the rosary, it becomes a daily habit. and 
something you look forward to. So, and I'm not even kidding, um, but you have to love the people around you and just pray for God's will and recall that we need God. He doesn't need us. That's important to remember. He loves us. He wants us to return, but only we are harmed in turning away. And the biggest lesson I've learned is that prayer is powerful more than I ever realized. For me, it took arguments for God. It took experience, um, the silent witness of others, my own foolishness to want to know God. Once I started on the path, I wanted to know God. I wanted to understand him more. You know, so I start reading um, deeper things about him, like the imitation of Christ or St. Thomas Aquinas. I I suspect um, various people were praying for me and, you know, their prayers were answered. It just took a while. So in the end, you have to realize that you can't save yourself. Um, When you feel strong, there's no need for a savior. When I feel strong, I start taking it back for myself. But I have to remember and realize how weak and helpless I am. And that gives me the nudge I need. Um, A life of worshiping the self and the world is ultimately depressing because it doesn't really have much meaning. Wealth, pleasure, honor, and power become boring. Uh, My generation, I I was born, uh, I lived, grew up in the 80s and 90s. Uh, We grew up dreaming about like rocking out with Snoop Dogg and um, sleeping with Victoria's Secret supermodels on our own private yachts after winning the Super Bowl, you know. We wanted all the world had to offer and all of these fruits and experiences that seemed to be liberating ended up bringing spiritual death. Um, None of that brings true happiness. None of that. Uh, Spiritual things come back to life once you become willing to ask for help. And so while science may have some cures, it doesn't have the cure. Pills and therapy can go part of the way, but not all the way. Because the last part of the journey doesn't come from a pharmacy or from a technique. Um, the last leap has to come by faith. There's no nothing external needed. Um, if you have a heart, you can make that leap. So people who turn away from God, which is everyone, unless you're Jesus, who's God. And if you are him, please contact me. I'd like to meet for coffee. ASAP. Um, All right, let me just start this sentence over. People who turn away from God imagine they have found freedom because they only see the rules of religion as oppressive, but that's because they don't understand the interior conversion of the heart is what transforms. That's the whole point of cathedrals and hymnals and candles and a long Saturday night Easter vigil mass and stations of the cross and ashes on our foreheads and all the kneeling and standing to give glory to God once you are turned back, makes total sense because that's all we can do to even try to give thanks for what God has done for us and what he's doing for us. Seeking humility before God means offering up our prayers, our money, our songs, our hearts, all of those things. And if you haven't turned back, it won't make sense because it can't make sense. It cannot make sense. You'll see religion as a modern kind of Pharisee, um, You'll see religious people as like the Pharisees. You'll see it as all justice and no mercy and full of hypocrisy. Or you'll go to the other side and be all mercy and there's no rules at all. Um, You'll see the sinners fall and point out that we are hypocrites, which is true. Yes, I'm a hypocrite. I can tell you that right now. Um, Don't let me fool you. A podcast doesn't make me less of a hypocrite, but I'm trying. I am trying. That's the goal to love God, to love others and keep his commandments, to do God's will and give him glory. That's the game. 
that's the game. That's the name of it all. Um, what you have to show someone who is turned away is that the rules are not the end game. The interior conversion is why everyone who comes to drink from this vine never leaves the party after that. Um, if it were only about rules, then Napoleon or Julius Caesar or Genghis Khan would be the object of our worship because they were very, very good about enforcing the law. Uh, but love of God goes way, way beyond the rules. Because of that love, the rules must be followed because you want to follow them. People who turn away do not like the rules because they think that what the rules outlaw are what is enjoyable. But unfortunately, it will never make sense to them when you try to explain that getting drunk or having sex is not really what they want. <laughs> Good luck telling someone that who's in it. But it's worth telling them anyway. Um, the message is scrambled because they can't get to God first. And second, they need to get to the interior conversion. So they had, the conscience will be talking to them and stinging them and saying, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. And they're just numbing it and numbing it and saying, leave me alone. Um, but they're actually oblivious to the joy. If you're fallen away, you're oblivious to the joy of what Jesus gives us. Um, and speaking of numbing it, if you know, I've heard of this. If you, if you go and receive the Eucharist without going to confession or reconciliation, you are numbing yourself to God. Um, if you are Catholic, don't go receive communion. If you haven't been to reconciliation, um, because you are actually numbing yourself. You're thinking the Eucharist doesn't matter. You're thinking God doesn't matter. It's numbing you to think you can actually get more into a worse state of habitual sin if you are receiving the Eucharist in a bad state because the Eucharist becomes less important. Um, given the shortness of confession lines, I see there are many, many people, I think, who are receiving the Eucharist and numbing themselves. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to mention that for Catholics, go to confession. It's it's free. It's there. It's a sacrament. It's it allows you to receive Eucharist in the most full way, and that's what we want. Um, so that joy that I was talking about—if you're fallen away, um, if for those who are oblivious to it, they have no idea that there's a different kind of joy that exists, and they think those who claim this joy is true are liars. Um, they think it's boring and enslaving, but it is the ultimate liberation. And if you like excitement, and if you like a good fight, then spiritual combat is for you. Spiritual combat is a sport that never, never stops. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you on the next episode.